Chapter Eleven of The Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. To the Rescue. Between the succession of apparent accidents that had at last brought James Ward to a decision, and the time that he sat with his father and brother at the breakfast table, several weeks had intervened. There had been four meetings of the CLSC, and both Paul Adams and James Ward were emphatically identified with it. As for Joe, he might be called a hanger-on. He attended the meetings, because it was so much a part of his nature to go where James did, that he would not have known himself had he done otherwise. But it was always under protest. He growled continually, and yet between times unwittingly strengthened his brother's resolution by prophesying that this sort of thing wouldn't last, that he and Paul would soon get tired of pretending to be what they were not, and would drop back into the old life. Now a certain type of character is always strengthened by being assured of prospective failure. James Ward grew more determined with every passing day to succeed. Meantime his father was watching him with a bewildered feeling that he did not know his own son. That something had changed him was evident. Of his own will he had asked a place in the store from which his indolence had shut him out more than a year before, and was holding steadily to business hours and habits. But the father lived in daily expectation, like Joe, of seeing him get tired of this sort of thing. The literary society he had heard of and dismissed with a half-sneer. Not that he despised learning, he would have been not only willing but proud had one of his sons chosen the life of a student, but that they were no students and could by no process of their own become such, or indeed anything else that was desirable, was a belief so firmly fixed that nothing as yet had shaken it his manner towards either of the sons had not materially changed, and yet occasionally James imagined that there was a shade less gruffness than usual, and that he listened with some degree of interest when business questions were being discussed. If James could have known how often he said to himself with a sigh, "'If his mother had lived, she would have made a business man of him, I believe,' he would have understood his father better.' On this particular morning James had a request to make, so strange in itself that his face was flushed with embarrassment, and he turned over and over in his mind various ways of presenting it. His father would be severely unbelieving as to the sense of the suggestion, and Joe would laugh. Both laughter and severity James Ward hated. Still he proposed to brave them." father the literary society to which we belong has voted to meet at the homes of the different members could we invite them to come here do you think he was mistaken about joe that young man was too much astonished to laugh instead he stared literary society and the father sneered since when did you become literary this question brought joe's laugh i am not over and above literary yet said james striving to retain his temper but i belong to a literary society and would like to have them meet at our house if you have no objection that is just another name for nonsense or what is worse i suppose card-playing and the mischief knows what going on under cover of literature i have heard of such things before james ward felt very angry especially as joe laughed 
To be sure, Joe was only laughing at his father's mistake in setting the company who gathered at the CLSC meetings to card-playing or anything else that was disreputable. But how could his brother know that? Still, James having a point to carry, struggled with his insulted feelings. "'We have nothing going on at these meetings that you could object to, sir. The names of the members are a sufficient guarantee for that.' "'Your name, for instance.' this time with an undoubted sneer. No, sir, not my name. No one can understand better than I how worthless that would be in your eyes. The moment the words were spoken, he was sorry for them. With all his faults, James Ward had never been guilty of actual face-to-face -face impudence towards his father. It had always seemed to him that a certain dim memory of his mother came between him and the words that he might have said silence fell between them for a little during which time james ward told himself that this was the last favor he would ever ask of his father that he had been trying for weeks to do his best and had been treated as sternly as though he were making rapid strides toward ruin all the time which only served to show how little his father really cared for him just as soon as it was possible to get away from home he would go he had been treated like a baby long enough just at this point the grim-voiced father spoke again what names do you propose to offer as a guarantee of respectability young bennett the law student is a member and the fentons and mrs dayton allen and judge allison's daughter and the burtons and dr monteith is our president how James Ward enjoyed pouring out this list of eminently respectable names to the utter astonishment of his father. Who? said the amazed man, apparently not daring to trust his ears over the last mentioned name. Professor Monteith, sir, he is spending a year here, you know. There was no reply to this. Whether the father was stunned, or whether he was doubtful, did not appear. Joe chuckled a little. He was capable of seeing the ludicrous side of almost anything, and he rejoiced over his father's astonishment. In fact, much as he hated the circle, he decided to volunteer some information. "'You might keep on, Jim. We have a good many names more stunning than the ones you have given. We've got the top of the heap, sir, in our set, this time.' Still no answer from the father. James drank another cup of coffee, helping himself, since the slovenly Nancy chose not to appear, and concluded that his plans were a failure. Then Mr. Ward said slowly, doubtfully, "'Our house is hardly in condition to entertain company. We used to keep things in shape years ago, but we are far from having things like other people now.' Then James, speaking eagerly, oh it is not like company they don't need entertaining all we want is a room with lamps and a fire in it the parlor would do very well if nancy were to sweep and dust it i don't believe the chimney will draw it is almost a dozen years seems to me since we had a fire in that stove still the chimney might be cleaned ought to be i suppose it will be a good thing to have the room dusted I went in there the other day, and I raised such a cloud of dust that it set me to coughing. This from Joe. His father turned toward him, a puzzled look on his face. Do you belong to this wonderful literary set, too? he asked. Yes and no, said Joe, laughing. 
I go because Jim does, and because Dr. Monteith invites me every time he sees me, and because Bob Fenton, for some reason, likes to have me come. And he's a plucky little chap, and I like to please him. But I don't plunge into the books as though my life depended on knowing just how many times the old Romans turned around, as Jim and the rest do. I don't think literature is my forte, sir, but I give them my encouragement all the same. I'm a kind of honorary member, I guess. I hope they feel honored, was his father's sharp reply, but there was a little drawing at the corners of his mouth, as though if he had only been used to it enough to know how, he would have liked to laugh. Then he finished in silence his coffee which James poured for him. At last he said, there ought to be two or three new lamps before anything of the kind is done. Nancy has about ruined the old ones. They were bought a good while ago, I suppose. And another sigh testified to his sense of the dreariness of the time since his home had fallen into decay. Well, tell Nancy what you want, and I'll see that she does it. As long as you bring respectable people into the house, it can't hurt. But mind, I'll have no nonsense." none of the things that I forbade years ago must be done under this roof. A moment of hesitation, then a tremulous clearing of his throat, and the silence of years was broken. Your mother didn't believe in any of those things, and if I did myself, which I don't, I wouldn't have her memory dishonored. It never shall be, sir, James Ward said in a low-moved tone, and Joe looked gravely down at his plate and if the father had but known it, he had done more to draw his sons into the right road by that one sentence than by any words that he had spoken before in years. So the formal invitation for the circle to hold its next meeting at Mr. Ward's was given, to the amazement of some, and the intense satisfaction of others. Indeed, Mrs. Fenton and Dr. Monteith shook hands over it, as a token that a long stride had been taken on the upward road. "'We must do everything that we can to make that meeting a success,' Dr. Monteith said heartily. But it was very near being a failure. James Ward did his best. He mended the broken hinge of the stove door, and glued the broken ends of two wall brackets, and put new cord on his mother's portrait, and finally pulled off his coat one morning, and gave the old stove such a coat of black, and then such a polish, as it had not known for years. The father on his part was mindful of the new order of things, and selected and sent up from the store four of the finest lamps in stock, and himself gave most careful directions to Nancy regarding their management. As for Nancy, she was much dazed. She had lived in the ward household for several years, and an innovation like this had never been seen. She grumbled not a little to herself over her extra work, and declared that these new doings were not at all to her mind. Whether it was for punishment, or whether she hailed it as a relief, I will not attempt to say, but on the very day before the important evening, what did Nancy do but let her two cheeks puff out like pillows, and her neck on either side swell even with her cheeks, an unmistakable case of mumps, and poor Nancy, unused to pain of any kind, rebelled at this, and believed that she was sick unto death, and insisted on being bundled into a sleigh and carried home. 
and the parlour was still unswept, to say nothing of hall and stairs. Neither were the hundred little things done that crowd together calling for attention so sure as company is expected. What was to be done? James and Joe discussed the question with dismayed faces. Joe was sympathetic. He did not believe in the circle. Still, he desired that it should receive all honour in his father's house. There was a free-hearted hospitality naturally about Joe that would have made him a good host given the chance. "'We shall just have to give it up,' James said at last, intense disappointment on his face. Just then came Paul on his way to afternoon work. "'What's up?' he asked, halting, seeing the look of dismay on the faces of both brothers. How could Paul Adams help them? Still feeling the need of sympathy from some quarter, they gave him a detailed account of Nancy's unfeeling behavior, and the disaster that had followed. Paul stood first on one foot and then on the other, to keep himself warm, and whistled. Presently he spoke. "'There's mother,' so confident did he seem of this fact that the wards looked around, expecting to see the small lean form of Mrs. Adams appearing in sight from around the corner. But Paul's eyes were cast meditatively on the ground, and after a brief silence from all parties, he continued, She knows how to sweep and dust and all that kind of thing, you know, and she isn't going to be very busy tomorrow, because she was wishing this morning that she had some more shirts to make and she is always ready to do things for folks, so that if you wanted her, you know. Here Paul paused, in doubt as to how to proceed. It was entirely new business for him, this offering to accommodate people with the loan of his mother. Light began to dawn on James Ward's troubled face. He felt a sudden sense of respect for Paul, nay, almost of envy, for had not Paul a mother? But he spoke eagerly. I begin to see daylight. You are pretty sure she would come, Paul, for a little while and help us through? Paul nodded emphatically. She would if I wanted her to, he said, with a certain confident air in her willingness to gratify him, which made the hearts of the wards twinge again with a little touch of envy. They felt sure that their mother would have done things to gratify them. So it was agreed that this new idea should be presented to the elder ward forthwith. He received the intelligence with that sort of ejaculation which may mean almost anything according as you are in the mood to interpret. But at the tea-table, after a more silent meal than usual, he said precisely in the tone that he would have used had the subject been up for discussion between them, "'Very well. One of you go around to the widow Adams this evening, and see if she will come to-morrow morning, and spend the day, and do what is to be done. I'll give her a dollar.' and the ward boys knew enough of the widow Adam's condition, and of their father's habits, to be aware that this was a good offer for her, and benevolence in him. Directly that dismal supper was concluded, and the family were each secretly astonished to discover how much more dismal it could be without Nancy than with her, James proceeded on his way. The widow Adams was not exactly adverse to the proceeding, but she was bewildered. She had by no means recovered from her bewilderment over Paul. Every added day that saw him go steadily to his work was an astonishment to her. 
for weeks she had believed that he was working to raise money to carry out some dark scheme the details of which had been planned on that first memorable weekday evening when he had insisted on having a clean shirt for she was still in lamentable ignorance of the proceedings of that evening she had no friends who could enlighten her she had heard nothing further of the c l s c so she brooded in silence do paul the justice to understand that he had forgotten all about the mystery and had no idea that he was daily wringing his mother's heart within a few days a wonderful thing had occurred paul had brought home and placed on the kitchen table a brand new lamp filled and trimmed which when lighted shed a halo of brightness over the dismal room such as it had not seen for years over this present the widow adams had both laughed and wept since which time she had gone around in an utterly dazed way she did not know what she thought still she looked upon this new departure with grave suspicion what could the ward boys want of her likely they wanted her to come to their house and sweep and clear up why they lived in that great square brick house on the corner the boys were just playing a trick on her they were hard boys up to all sorts of pranks it had troubled her all her life that paul would have anything to do with them i don't care if their father is a rich man she would say with great earnestness for to the widow adams vision mr ward was a rich man I'd rather you would grow up poor as Job was after he lost everything, and be respectable. Then would Paul good-naturedly assure her that he was poor enough, and that as to the respectability he would think about it. He gave over trying to enlist her sympathies in favor of the wards, since he could not make her understand what was wanted, and trusted to their own efforts to bring matters right. It proved not to be a very difficult thing to do, dollar bills were not so plenty in the widow adams experience that she could afford to lose this opportunity of earning one by spending a day at the wards with nothing in life to do as she expressed it in a bewildered way to paul when he ate his early breakfast the next morning nothing in life to do but sweep and dust and get them poor creatures some dinner and supper get em good ones said paul taking huge bites of his johnny cake I don't believe they have good things very often. That Nancy looks as though she didn't know how to comb her hair, nor get dinner. What connection there was between the two occupations, Paul did not explain. He looked his mother over from head to foot in her neat, straight, dark dress, without ruffle or pucker, her gray hair combed plainly back under the meekest of widow's caps. Paul wouldn't have undertaken to have explained the difference, but, in his estimation, there were miles of distance between his mother and that Nancy. End of chapter 11